So we, um, we're in a series, we started just a few weeks ago, that uh, I've called Go Eat Popcorn. And if you wonder why I called it that, uh, it's to help you remember the four books that we're really focusing on, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. It was also National Popcorn Day yesterday, but uh, that had nothing to do with why this sermon is this sermon. So um, these four letters are taking place because in them are amazing foundational truths that will help us really live this amazing life that we have in Christ to the full. And, and so there's, there's a lot of things that we can talk about and we'll, we'll talk about in this series. The overreaching part of this series I'm trying to get you uh, to understand and see is that the life that we have in Christ is lived in response to what He has done for us, not in us trying to live in a way to get Him to respond to us. And that's a significant difference that Paul really lets us see throughout these letters that he writes uh, to the churches. And um, the first couple of weeks we've talked about the importance of knowing that we live in a tension between the now and the not yet. Jesus has come, He's inaugurated the kingdom, He's going to come back and consummate the kingdom, uh, and we live in a tension. The kingdom is here but not fully here. We need to understand that because it has a big impact on the way that we understand the scripture. Last week we talked about the gospel, the good news, and I said how important it is for you to know what the gospel is, where to find it, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, what it means, and, and why, you know, if someone is, is come to you and they're, they're telling you some things and you're not sure about where they're coming from, simple question is to ask them what the gospel is. And if they don't have an answer for you that's similar to what we know it is, that gives you a big sort of clue to go, okay, I'm not taking that in at the moment. Today, we're moving into Galatians chapter 2. We're going to talk about what it means to be crucified with Christ. Transition, there's always a couple of bad jokes. Remember when you could go to a gas station and and you could uh, get air for your tires for free? And now it's like a buck, buck and a half. You know why? Inflation. I asked his friend who's struggling with kleptomania what he was doing about it, and he said, don't worry, I'm taking stuff for it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got, a, I got a really good joke about time travel, but you didn't like it. That one's for me. Scripture reading. <laughs> Galatians 2, 11 through 21. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a person is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If While we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. 
For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Another thing I've been encouraging you to do is to read the, the Bible with a method I call illuminated reading. And when I sit down to read, I simply a simple prayer where I just say, Holy Spirit, would you show me what you would like me to see in your scripture today? And things seem to pop out at me as I go through that process to be illuminated by him. And, and that's what I'm doing in this series with you. And the verse that popped out was Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a crucial life verse for all of us who are walking with Christ. It's just filled with some amazing uh, essential elements of this life. It sort of gets to the heart of things in an amazing way. And one of the things that I noticed, and I hope you notice as you read it, is how many times he says I in there. I, 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 I. Okay. So first thing we're going to talk about is this. Point number one is the old I. The old I. Now, um, when you look at a verse like this and you're trying to sort of figure it out or, you know, pray about it, you, you should ask yourself some questions. And one of the things you need to look at is the context of the verse. What's going on? What's the story? Why is Paul writing what he's writing at that point in time? And back in verse 11, we see what's going on is that Peter's come to Antioch and Paul had to oppose him to his face because um, he was in the wrong. So Paul had to go and have a discussion with Peter about some stuff that Peter was doing. And you know, one of the reasons I love the Bible, and, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, and how, how, how we know we can trust the Bible, is that God left the embarrassing people stories in here. If you were trying to clean up a book and say, well, this is God, but you would, I think by nature you would take all the embarrassing stuff out, but God doesn't. It's all in there. These guys' lives and all their embarrassing stuff is in the book. Now, you also know that when God is looking at them, He's looking at them now in the perfection of His Son, and He sees them, and they're, they're recorded for us towards the end as the heroes of the faith. But they're in there with all their mess. And Peter made a number of mistakes. Along with an amazing amount of accomplishments for the kingdom, a lot of his stuff that wasn't so good is written down in the book. And you know why I'm so grateful about that? I, don't, I still make a lot of mistakes. Don't you? If this book had been cleaned up, wouldn't you, wouldn't you struggle? with? Anyway, so, he, so Peter does some stuff, and he's doing some stuff here. Now, he's been a believer for quite some time when this happens. And, you know, God's used him in mighty ways. He's really the one that, you know, God chose to speak at Pentecost, and thousands were added, and God's been using him, and the church has been growing. The first one to go out and minister to the Gentiles. Huge impact on the kingdom. But at this point in time, he's got some issues. Now, what's happened is the old eye has snuck back up again. Uh, the old eye uh, is, is the life of self. It's arrogant. It's prideful, self-important, self-promotion. Um, it's not being settled in your identity and always trying to prove yourself in other ways. It's carrying, carrying, carrying way too much what other people think about who you are instead of what God thinks about you. And, and this has been one of Peter's issues, like it is for all of us throughout his life. Trying to be number one, jockeying for position. He did that with the other disciples a lot, with John and James. They were all fighting to see who was number one. 
And at this point, in this amazing walk of Peter, I would use this term, he is being a judgmental hypocrite. Pretty harsh term, but that's what he's doing. And, and what's happened, he's in Antioch, which is a Gentile church. He's been there before. He's always fellowshiped with everybody. They've had meals together, which means they've even you know, taken communion together. Everything has been good to that point. But when a group from the Jerusalem church shows up, they're known as Judaizers, and they went all over the place trying to get Gentile believers to come under Jewish law. They thought that's what needed to happen. When they're there, Peter begins to withdraw because of their influence from the Gentiles. And he's separating himself from them. And that's brand new. And it's causing a lot of problems. To the point even where Barnabas withdraws. And Barnabas is the son of encouragement. He's got this church in Antioch going. And, and so there's a big problem. And Paul calls Peter on. He says, by your example, you're leading a lot of people astray. This, this judgmental hypocrite that you're being is not good for the kingdom. And what's happened is that Peter has not been, he's not living at that moment the crucified life, if you would, the life with Christ. And so Paul has to call him on it. Not the first time that Peter's been called on this. If you remember, back in Matthew 16, Peter has this moment where God reveals to him that Jesus is the Messiah. It's huge. Let me read it to you. Verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. This is a highlight in Peter's life. Don't get me, if you're jockeying for position, and all of a sudden you hear from God and you speak it out, and Jesus goes, Yes! I'm just thinking Peter's feeling good. You know what I mean? And I'm sure he's hoping that John and James heard that. Did you just hear that? Everybody else too. But look what happens. Because this is what happens with the old eye. From that time on, verse 21, Jesus began to explain to his disciples, he's got to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Make sure you catch that. Peter, Jesus, fully God, fully man, Jesus. Peter saying, no, no, that's not how it's going to work, Jesus. Never, Lord, he says, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turns and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Uh, big as a high of, that he just had eh, down here now. He's hoping nobody else heard that. But he's been totally called on his arrogance and his pride at that moment. And look what Jesus says to the disciples. Verse 24, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross. Follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses life for me will find it. See, we have to take up the cross. We have to lose our old life. The old life needs to be put to death, crucified with Christ, but it isn't easy. And that's the issue that we need to be aware of. I was thinking about this all week, and I was thinking about Peter's embarrassing stories. And I started thinking of some of my own embarrassing old eye stuff that uh, I've experienced in the ministry and this one story stuck out so uh, and I, I thought I'd share it with you and, and so this happened years ago I was a new pastor I wasn't very settled yet in my identity and and who I was and and um, my buttons could get pushed fairly easy anybody ever have that happen poking and uh, there was a, a congregant very nice person but but strongly opinionated I would say 
And there's nothing wrong with opinions. We all have opinions. That's not the issue, okay? But this, uh, she, she came up to me after a service one time and, and she said, nobody likes the translation of the Bible that you're using. Nobody's not good with me. There was only about a hundred of us then. So, but I'm so not in a good spot. I looked at her and said, nobody? So you've talked to all 100 people about this. And she said, well, no. I said, well, have you talked to 50 of them? No. Have you talked to 10 of them? No. So basically we're talking about you and maybe the people at your table. But here's the deal. So I, I, I won that argument. But this lady and her family left the church. I look back on it now and I'm embarrassed because I could have handled it so much differently. I didn't need to take it to that point. I didn't need to be that arrogant sort of... See, the reality is just because I can win an argument doesn't mean that I should. It's different, right? What if winning an argument at some point then loses me the opportunity to share somebody the gospel, which is all I really care about in a bigger scheme of pictures. That's what I want to do. I want to see people come to know Jesus because I know that's where life is. What if my pride and my arrogance of having to be right stops it? And so, you know, I can look back on it now and think, I could have handled that so much differently. Uh, hopefully, you know, the new eye is in place where, where I would say something like that because sometimes people, do, translation they will come up and I'll say, you know what? I, I love the Bible and I love different translations. When I'm studying the Bible, I have a computer. I have a whole bunch of them open. I'll have four or five open at a time and, and almost always the translation that people's coming with. And I, I love it and I study it and I, I use it and I look back in the original languages and I'm trying to keep things in context and, and so I'm presenting the truth, you know, to the best of my ability and... and, and you know, I, your translation's good too. There's nothing wrong with your translation. This is just the one I use. And you might see it. If it says something that I think says it better than the one I normally use, you'll see it pop up every time now and again. And so I could go there and maybe get us to a place where we could just agree to disagree about something that doesn't really matter. But I can't do that if I'm defensive and arrogant and prideful and all focused on me. See, that's what Paul's getting at. The old eye keeps sort of getting in the way. The, the, the way I know to explain this best, so you've heard me do it, is that this story that we're living is his story. And he's the center of his story. He's the noun of the story. He invites us into his story. And we're adjectives. We describe him in our life. And that's where we find life. Anytime that we end up being the center of the story, that old eye is there, and there is absolutely no life there. It's miserable. You end up being a judgmental hypocrite just like Peter, who's a good guy. But those things happen. So anytime we feel ourselves getting into the center of this thing, we need to go, oh, Lord, that's not where I want to live. I want you in the center of my life, and I want to live for you. So the second thing that we do in this life is we yield to the Spirit. We just did a whole series on this, but that's point number two. It's about yielding to the Spirit on this journey. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See, we can't live this life in our own strength, in our own power. We can't resist temptation by willpower. Uh, we can't live the way we should by our own efforts. Only Jesus can live the, the successful, genuine, victorious Christian life. Only Jesus. Because it is, after all, His life. But when we come to Him in full surrender, yielding to the Spirit, He invades us by His Spirit and, and the power of His Spirit, and, and He begins living His life through us. 
So the, this life isn't something that, that you know, we, we take on and do in our own strength. The yielded life means that we die to ourselves every day and Christ lives through us every day and His very personality is being produced, reproduced in our lives by the indwelling of the Spirit. Look what he says in Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not controlled, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. And the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ comes and dwells in us and leads us into life. And he's producing in us, point number three, the new I. The new I. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, a, a Christian isn't someone who believes in his head the teachings of the Bible. A Christian is a person that's died with Christ who, uh, and, and is now, you know, uh, our pride has been slain. Our hard hearts have been softened. And we understand now that our life is mastered by Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then he says, yeah, and this is life I now live. So, so the old eye is going and the new eye is coming and I live this life by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I still live, but it's no longer the eye of, of self-importance and self-boasting you know, boasting and, and all those things that happen. It's this new eye who, who looks away from himself and looks to God for everything as a source of our life, whose, whose love for us was proved at the cross. And that, so this life then is, is from, the, from the moment that you wake up in the morning till the moment that you fall asleep at night, this new eye is yielding to the Spirit and looking to Jesus to model life for us, knowing that He's come to give us full and abundant now and forever life, the most amazing life there's ever been. And that's this process that we're all engaged in. But see, there's tension, and that's what we have to be aware of. Otherwise, we, we'll start to get all messed up. So I'd like to say that I'm always operating in the new eye. But that would be a lie. That would be an old eye statement. And I'm aware of it. The old eye pops up. Often, right on the edge sometimes. You know, sometimes... One of the things that we have to do is we, on this journey that we can learn to be is instead of being reactive, we can be reflective. And so things can come at us, and even if our buttons are getting pushed, we don't have to go with the first few things that we think about. That, one of the things that, you know, I don't do anymore is I might think of a few sarcastic comments when somebody says something, but I almost always keep them in. <laughs> Just because I could win this doesn't mean that I should. I pray that someday that's not the case even, you know, that it would just be so yielded that it wouldn't even happen. I would think like Jesus in those situations. I kind of have to catch up to that. But it's because of this tension, see? So I live in a tension. So, so the old eye isn't completely done yet. He's still trying to get control every now and again, but the new eye is there and I'm yielding to the Spirit and I'm trusting in Him so that I think like Jesus more and act like Jesus more and say the things that Jesus might say. A couple of years ago, we had a young man that... Uh, came to church two or three times and he was living in the woods and he was a meth addict. And we loved on him and we were feeding him and trying to bless him and pray for him. He had some church background and, 
he, you know, he, he was trying. And uh, after a few times of being here, he asked me for a Bible. And I said, absolutely, I've got a Bible. And we have very nice Bibles that we give to people, nice covers. And hand the Bible, and he opens it up. And he looked at it, and he says, he said, oh, I, I, I can't read this translation of the Bible. And what do you mean? He said, well, if it's not such and such, it's not the right Bible. I can't read it. He handed it back to me, and he said, is that the Bible you use at church? I said, yeah. He said, well, I can't even come to church here. Now, let me tell you, the old I had this thought of, dude, you're living in the woods, and you're a meth addict. Really? That's where you're going to go? But the new I was just sad that he was so bound in that religiosity that he couldn't stay in a place where he could find help and break free and come to know some freedom in his life. Do you get the significant difference of the two? And see, that's the tension that we live in. And, and that's what we need to be aware of. And that's where Paul's leading us to. So I just want to encourage you, just keep pressing in. We're going to keep pressing on with Paul. He's going to keep giving us these amazing truths to live by. But understand that one. You're getting rid of the old eye. You're crucifying that every day. You're yielding to the Spirit so the new eye can be developed so that we can live there because that's where life is. Amen? Ministry team, those of you here, why don't you head over to the wall? People on the way over there are here to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything, they'll make sure you get it. Let me pray for you as a group. You can have breakfast. We'll dismiss. Papa, thank you for your amazing love for us. You are such an awesome God. Thank you for the life that you give us. And Lord, for the power of your Spirit changing us. And as he does, Lord, not only let it change us, but let it impact the world around us for you. Bring renewal and revival and breakthrough to this area that hundreds and thousands of people would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray for every church in this area, God, where your word is preached. We ask that you would bless them abundantly with everything they need to fulfill the mission you've given them. We ask for your continued abundant blessing on us, God to fulfill the mission you've given us of one more. Just one more lost child back to you, Dad. Just one more. Thank you so much for including us in your story here in this time and place. You are an awesome and amazing God. If you need prayer for anything this morning, the folks over there will pray for you. Healing, relationship, problems, finances, situations. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let's take care of that now. It's a matter of humility and faith. In humility, it's, it's just getting before God and admitting you're broken like all the rest of us. You've sinned. Asking Him to forgive you, which you'll do. And then in faith, inviting and accepting Jesus into your heart and life as Lord and Savior. If you have never prayed a prayer along those lines, do it now. You can pray it. Or you can go ask somebody over there. Say, I want to know Jesus. They'll know exactly what you mean. They'll help you with that simple prayer. So if you need prayer for that or for anything, I'd encourage you to get it. You're going to stay in our breakfast. Lord, thank you for the food you provided. Bless that. Everybody that makes it possible, draw people in, God, for the 11 o'clock service. You're amazing, and we love you so much. Praise God from whom. bless and keep you. May His face shine upon you. May He be gracious to you and give you peace 
and go today in the peace, the power, and the love of God. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. We'll see you soon. Remember, be thankful for five things. Encourage two people so we can get one lost child back to dad. Prayers over there. Food will be in the back. As you go, drive safely. Be kind to one another in the parking lot. Be careful. It's wet out there. Uh, if you're going fishing, which I doubt, catch some fish. Hope you're